0: Hey, podcast action heroes gavin here just by way of a trigger warning we do briefly talk in this episode about some potentially sensitive topics including parental abuse so if that's a sensitive area you may want to skip this one he's an undercover cop i'm the party pooper working his way through school they six years how much trouble can they be Arnold Schwarzenegger I have a headache
1: It might be a tumour
0: It's not a tumour Kindergarten Cop Wednesday, November 9th on USA You're horrible Welcome to Podcast Action Hero The show that knows who your daddy is and knows what he does
1: Get to the chopper!
0: I want to ask you a bunch of questions Hey, Christmas tree! I want to have them answered immediately I'm not a prover Son of a bitch! My are very sensitive. Get your ass to Mars. I'm not shooting on you. Fuck like you, asshole. My name's Gavin. My name's Jamie. And this is the show where we basically talk about Arnold Schwarzenegger films for an hour. And in this episode, we're talking about 1990s kindergarten cop. So Jamie, what is your history with this film? This is going to become a thing that I say, but my history
1: with this film began last week. I have never had any desire to watch it, if I'm honest And I don't even remember it really coming out But I've now seen it twice, as per
0: (laughs) Well this is it, I remember at the end of the uh, last episode When we found out we were going to be watching Kindergarten Cop Previous listeners might remember that I sounded really excited Because, I mean, spoilers for the end of the episode But I love this film uh, but you really didn't sound that impressed when this one came out of the uh, of the Wheel of Pain.
1: Yeah, and I was working on the assumption that it was a family film, and I just didn't think it was going to be my kind of thing. You then seem to indicate that it's not a family film, and having watched it, it kind of is and it kind of isn't.
0: Yeah, it's really confused in its tone, and I think this has kind of got that same condition, uh, I don't want to say problem, but it's there's something about a lot of the quote-unquote family films that came out of the 1980s and, I guess, the early 1990s. Because this this is obviously a film that was definitely written in that era in the 80s, and then it was released in 1990. And even I, I think about films like The Goonies, where it's technically a family film, but if you watch the full uncut version of The Goonies, there's some pretty tough stuff in there, you know? The film essentially opens up with a man who's pretending to hang himself. Yep. And... And I and I think this is that sort of like school of family film where it's really pushing. I mean, this one it did get an R rating. It's a family film, but it's a, it's a fifteen in the UK. It was a fifteen,
1: but um, there was another another cut apparently,
0: where they okay cut,
1: they cut down. There was only f- there was five there was five gunshots in the film, mm-hmm. and it got cut down to two for the UK. They also got rid of a few of the moments where he confronts the child abuser guy. Uh-huh. and there's a few language edits as well. Apparently, that that's all been restored since, but it's just a case of they, they definitely watered it down, and we still became a 15.
0: Yeah, well, definitely, that era in the UK, I can imagine the BBFC, which is our censorship board for films, I can imagine them back then having an absolute field day cutting everything out of it. Because it feels like we've, in the UK, we've really changed how we sort of like deal and uh, and how we sort of handle films now we we seem to be much more open to the violence and the bad language than it was when I was growing up and we talked in the Terminator episode we're talking about uh, when I was a kid and if I wanted to watch one of these Arnold Schwarzenegger films my dad would tape it off uh, like video record it off tv and say he'd watch it first and let me know if it was okay for me to watch it but then with with ITV, by the time it had been through, a first of all, by the time it had been through the BBFC to get a theatrical release in the UK, and then by the time it had been through um, ITV and and their censors, you know, they were trimming sort of you know ten minutes of stuff out of the films, and so I can imagine the same thing happening with this to get it to back in the UK at the time, what would have been a an acceptable sort of level of violence and language.
1: Yeah, and that's that's it's weird to think because I know Americans seem to have this like they're generally quite surprised that we have a nine o'clock watershed where it's like, mm. you know, anything before nine o'clock, you've got to be careful. Anything after nine o'clock, anything goes, really. And that's that wasn't the case for films like Terminator or Robocop and that kind of thing. Um, even after nine, you'd still get quite a substantial amount of stuff cut. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, you're cutting it for adults now, really. Yeah. Like, by your own guidelines you're cutting this stuff for adults. And it makes more sense to cut stuff like kindergarten cop because there's a it's strongly marketed as a, a thing that kids would enjoy since there's so many kids in it and it's, you know, all about the misunderstandings of a top a tough guy having to deal with kids for the first time, which, you know, parents would think was quite funny, teachers would think is quite funny. But kids as well. You know, you that's mm-hmm. surely part of the marketing appeal. So you'd ex- you'd expect that's what surprised me about this film, really, is just that they didn't cut brutal murder <laughs> headshots.
0: Yeah. Well, that's it. What, first five minutes of the film is a murder, and it's like, oh, this is not your grandfather's family film, but you're absolutely bang on about the marketing because the, the the poster, the one sheet for this one that would have been on like, the theatrical releases, that would have been on the... Uh, I guess the the VHS release at the time, and it, probably every kind of like DVD and streaming release since, it's sort of Arnold Schwarzenegger with all these kids crawling all over him. The uh, the the design of the logo is sort of like written in chalk, and, right? And and so like kids would have been going to I don't know I can imagine and I'm thinking again thinking about myself but going to the video shop with my dad and and seeing this and seeing my representation as a child. On this one, and going, I want to watch this film because it's for kids. And then I can imagine parents getting this, taking it home, putting it on first five minutes, murder. Right,
1: right. I mean, if you, were, I mean, back in the days when there were video rental places, you would see this cover like a white background. It's it's basically the romantic comedy slash family film kind of background. It's like it would yeah. be, it would look in its place with stuff like Jack. Which I don't yep. know if that's a family film or not, but it looks like one. Basically, anything Robin Williams did in the nineties.
0: It's people. It's a real nineties, um, late eighties, early nineties trope, isn't it? It's people having fun, of sorts, or some people having fun against a white background. And I'm thinking like three men and a baby, or three men and a little lady. I think and those sorts of films thinking. are exactly the sort of thing, aren't they?
1: Yeah, hundred percent. But even though, like, even you forget the three men and a baby, like one of the main characters. I think he's, like, got a... Is it heroin or cocaine he's got? He's got, like, a big <laughs> shipment of drugs that he's
0: stolen. That's the part of the main plot. I don't remember. I've not seen it for a long time. So, but, again, it wouldn't surprise me. It was... I think it's... I imagine all of the actual cocaine that people in Hollywood were doing all the way through the 80s massively informed the types of family... what What they thought was going to be an acceptable sort of standard for a family film at the time. Right. Yeah, I think it's part of
1: shifting attitudes, not just Hollywood, but society as well, where kids mm-hmm. are more protected from the bad stuff than they used to be. And people were going to have their opinions on whether that's too far or not far enough or whatever, you know, you've got, you've got definite people from one side or the other on the spectrum of like, how much do you protect kids? But I think in this case... It's kind of harmless, but you can see where it's definitely from a time before we put the cotton wool around.
0: Yeah, this is it. I definitely can't see a film like this coming out today. I mean I remember it's probably about maybe 10 or 15 years ago in itself but um, definite kindergarten cop vibes I got when Vin Diesel came out with the pacifier uh, which I think was which I, I sort of read at the time as a, as a massive kindergarten cop ripoff because it's action hero. Um, but trying to deal with uh, with kids, and I remember probably around about this time, maybe a little bit after this, you also had I think it was Bert Reynolds. Um, he had one called Cop and a Half, which oh was God. kind of like, yeah. Do you remember that? It was sort of kindergarten cop meets um, buddy cop movie. So you know, again through the sort of eighties and, uh, and early nineties, you had the alternative buddy cop ones like uh, K Nine Turner and Hooch. And then you had Cup and a Half starring Burt Reynolds and some kid.
1: And Stop all My
0: Mum Will Shoot. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Uh, so they were definitely sort of playing with that that sort of trope, uh, the sort of tough guy, you know, the sort of impenetrable tough guy, no nonsense, but completely disarmed by the witty children. <laughs> but again, I, I just I don't see this necessarily having the same thing. There was a film that came out, I think it was maybe a year or two ago, I forget the name of it now. Was it was like Mister Nanny or something like that? And it's Dave Batista, who oh, yeah. some people might know from like WWE fame, and he was um, one of the characters in Guardians of the Galaxy as well. Was it Drax? He was called in. Yeah, Guardians. So you got that guy, and again, he was kind of a tough guy. All of a sudden, responsible for taking care of this child, and it's that sort of. It comes around again. But even though I've not seen that, I don't imagine for one second it goes anywhere near the level of kind of like adult content that Kindergarten Cop does.
1: Yeah, I think you've kind of got the Disney-fied version of those kind of things now. Everything's sort of, it's almost like films were still almost in a Wild West kind of period in the 80s. And since then, it just settled in and everything sort of like found its little niche. Like they all found the, you know, the, the square films went into the square hole kind of thing and yeah. and like now it's difficult to break out of that mold because the demographics you know because they not the demographics because the because the marketing is important and they've got all this research saying people like this in this format with these people in at this time of year and i feel like you'd never get a film like this well you, do, you would get a film like this now, because there is Kindergarten Cop 2. <laughs> and the fact that We've people done. don't know about it shows that it didn't work anymore.
0: Yeah, it either didn't work, but again, there's no publicity for it. And, and I know you told me about this, I guess it was a, I think it was you told me about it. anyway, it was a few weeks ago, but only as a direct result of looking into the details about this film. Yeah. And it's clearly one of those things where even the studio, even the production houses behind it, know that this isn't going to have the legs. Like, if you release this now, I don't think it would find its audience.
1: No, I think, uh, yeah, I think you're right. Well, we haven't actually covered the the plot yet,
0: mm-hmm. but you could
1: sum it up in about three sentences. Go on. So, drug dealer is trying to find his estranged wife, and, or ex-wife, technically, and son, who have been on the run. It turns out that they're in a elementary school in Oregon, in Astoria, Oregon, where the film is. Mm-hmm. And Arnold Schwarzenegger is a cop that goes undercover as a teacher to smoke him out. And that is really... I mean, the premise is the plot. There is... Other than the fact that John Kimball, the cop... Yep. Other than the fact that John Kimball falls in love with the woman who's trying to escape, whose name is Joyce or Rachel, depending on which version you're talking about. <laughs> That's, that's that's really that's really it. It's other than that, it's just a it's a very bare bones thing with just like moments. There's like little little moments that are meant to make you laugh, or I don't know if there's any other reaction they're going for than laugh, really.
0: Yeah, so essentially, you've got Alice Schwarzenegger plays uh, detective, John Kimball. and um, so we join him. He's sort of following some guy, some like you know cardboard cutout late eighties early nineties bad guy with a ponytail, and shoulder pads yeah <laughs> we don't know why he's following him slightly inflated Channing Tatum as I called him <laughs> yeah it was and so we don't know why he's following it following him but all we know is that it starts off Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, looks like shit at the start of this film he's <laughs> got he's got a, a glued on beard I mean he's <laughs> got a glued on beard
1: but not like a glued on beard in the in the way that most beards in Hollywood would be glued on they seem to have done it a couple of hairs at a time.
0: Yeah, I think the uh, the technique um, is called flocking, and it's the same thing that they use to stick hairs on like action man figures or GI Joes and, <laughs> and those sort of things. Where essentially they will like you, they'll sort of you know put a glue on it and then almost like just spray the, uh, the 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 short hairs to get it to stick. So I think that's what they've done. They've basically flocked his beard onto his face. Yeah. I mean,
1: I know it didn't have to be on his face for the majority of the film, but they could at least make it look convincing. Just you know, it's the beginning of the film. They don't film these things uh, chronologically, of yeah. course, but just let him grow a beard. Or he only needed to grow
0: a beard for what three days to get that? Yeah, probably not even that. To be fair, uh, but yeah. So sex, uh, but tell me. So you introduced the uh, the main body as a drug dealer. Now I missed that. How do you know he's a drug dealer? Because of Was Wikipedia? that ever mentioned? <laughs> because of Wikipedia, right? Okay. So once again, you've done way better research than I've done because oh, I've mate, got. Looking this at one Wikipedia. thing I struggled with. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's that's a level of uh, of depth of research I'm just not prepared to go. But it, I, I get I, I, again. I love this film. I really enjoy it. But even watching it again, I couldn't figure out. Uh, so the main bad guy, uh, Crisp, right? His name Cullen Crisp. Who? Cullen Crisp. Cullen Crisp. Okay, fantastic. So, the movie guy, Cullen Crisp, who apparently only if you do research you find out is a drug dealer. And we're to believe that uh, he and Detective John Kimball and his character have got some kind of like backstory that they never go into, that they never explain at all. The
1: only time it's ever referenced is um, because he knows uh, Crisp recognizes Kimball from just sound. He doesn't see him. He just. When he comes in and he says you're under arrest, crisp, he's like, Kimball and he knows him straight away. Um, yeah. but also later on Joyce says, You don't know him and he says, Oh yes, I do know him. I know him very well.
0: Okay, and that's that. Yeah, it's like the the bare minimum sort of like setup really. All cause all it's trying to drive towards at the end of the day is the hilarity of the situations between big tough guy Arnie dealing with these kids who he, he doesn't know how to handle, doesn't know what to deal with. Yeah, it's and th- that kind of really sort of like uh, confused me all the way through. It was okay, so I, I sort of understand why he's doing this. I sort of understand why he's in the situation, but the explanation, the justification for why he was in here was like so loose, so bare minimum. Just approach them. They're not in witness mm-hmm. protection, you know. Just just set up interviews. That's all you
1: have to do. I mean, obviously, you don't want to scare her because she does get scared the moment she finds out he's a cop and runs away. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, she doesn't run away, she just goes home. So it's not like you can't find her. There's a very flimsy excuse to get him in there, like you say, yeah.
0: So essentially, the the main bad guy, Crisp, then, he murders somebody, some, uh, you know, it it appears to be uh, somebody who's addicted to drugs who somehow has found or I say somehow, he he found out where Crisp's. Ex-wife and uh, and son are because he saw them when he was out one time. Um, yeah. Tells him where he can find him, and uh, and then Chris kills him for some reason because I guess this guy's trying to get money out of him, trying to extort him for it. And uh, and, and little to Chris' knowledge, there is a yeah, a witness um, who honestly, when I not when I first saw this, but when we watched it the other day, there was a good few seconds where I thought, is that Courtney Love? Because there was definite sort of like 1990s Courtney Love vibes going on with uh, with that woman. See,
1: my thought, first thought was Brittany Murphy, who I reckon would have played her in 10 years' time.
0: Yeah, really good point. And yeah, so, we, so they know that uh, Chris has murdered someone. Detective John Kimball wants to sort of nail him for it. Uh, but this person isn't going to be a witness, or it's not going to be enough of a witness. And so to sp- also get more witnesses and to protect his ex-wife and child... I decide to try and track them down? Am I, am I right there? Is that is that what happened? I think
1: the only reason he's doing it is just to get his son back. That's that's literally his entire motivation. He fabricates this story about her running off with three million to mm-hmm. get people searching for her. And I guess this guy I can't remember his name who gets killed at the beginning of the informant, he's just one of them. I, I don't think he's got a, uh, a reason for any of this beyond he just wants his son. And the way it plays out Later on when he actually finds them, is of a desperate dad who just really wants to know his son. And they play it in such a way that makes you go You've not specifically told me, other than shooting a guy, that he's a bad guy. You know, like yeah. he's he's just he just seems to be really desperate to see his son. And it's like, I'm not sure you should have put in that much of a sympathetic scene with him, really.
0: Yeah, it was yeah, no, I I agree with them on that one. It, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. and I, As we're finding already with a lot of these films, when you start really sort of picking them apart beyond its real sort of high concept, it, you know, a lot of the uh, the plots on these they really fall apart quite quickly, don't they? Yeah. So you've got Chris Poo, he, he's literally just trying to... And I, I think one thing that potentially did get across quite well here is that he essentially, he's... He's the, the sort of, uh, he's almost a caricature of like an abusive husband, isn't he? Yeah. He's someone who um, he perceives, um, I would guess, some level of ownership over Rachel or Joyce um, oh. and his child as well. And so all of it is down to, and, and obviously when it gets towards the end of the film, that becomes more apparent from what he's prepared to do. So his motivation is just kind of like, he sort of like, They are his. He owns them. So that's why he's going after them for all that kind of stuff. And I guess he he created that story about them or, you know, his uh, his ex-wife run off with $3 million because then it would be easier for other people to perhaps understand why he would be so obsessed with tracking them down. But for him, it's kind of like they are the $3 million. They are worth more to him than money. Not because of, not out of any level of uh, love or anything like that, but because that's kind of like the classic thing with an abusive uh, partner is it's that uh, you're mine i own you and if i can't have you nobody else will right right and so it's more like it's the it's the it's the insult it's the offense that she dared to leave that toxic that abusive uh, relationship so yeah that's that's what i got from that maybe i'm giving this film too much credit
1: but i don't know um, what do you think about the the inclusion of his mum as a character as well uh i don't know her name Mrs. Crisp, um, kettle. Yeah, kettle, Crisp. Kettle Crisp. <laughs> kettle Crisp. <laughs> um, but like she's shown to be, it's she? They almost give him an excuse for the way he's acting by making her clearly the reason he is like that. Mm-hmm. Like she's dominating his life, basically making decisions for him, and it kind of it's that whole thing of like an abused person abuses. And mm-hmm. it's like, well, that's that's definitely true. But you're also trying to paint a cartoon villain here. You need this guy to be a villain or the film doesn't work. And you can't make him, you can't feel for him in a kind of a, well, you had no choice. This is just the way things were going to be for you. You know, you don't You don't need that in a film like this. It's like, and I know that they, they never outright say that, but her presence kind of suggests that they're trying to, Get away with something there.
0: Yeah, I think in that uh that sort of like relationship dynamic, the film definitely falls between two stools, really. So Eleanor Crisp, I've uh just researched this very second. Yep. uh she is very much portrayed as this on the one hand, this very sort of two-dimensional, sort of like almost like Cruella de level of of baddie, but then there is this introduction of this. And again, this is where it, it, it sort of feels really weird as a, like off tone as a family film, where they do strongly hint that she is herself an abusive parent. She's dominating. She's controlling. And there's the suggestion that that's where Crisp, has sort of got this stuff from. And and the whole scene in the uh, in 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 the pharmacy in the drugstore when she's getting all the cough medicine for uh, for Crisp's son. And this this the. <laughs> there's the One of the things she's buying is a rectal thermometer. Yeah. (laughs) And again, she's like, you know, um, words to the effect of I got all this stuff for you and it never did you any harm or whatever the line was. But the implication was that she was so overbearing, so controlling over him. And it suggests in that moment as well, or, or it seems to nod towards the idea that actually her attitude towards him has caused him some serious harm. And this is where I'll say it's, it seems to be falling between two stools because on the one hand it needs you to really believe this guy is dangerous and he's a threat and he's bad, but really the only background we get on that is the fact that at the start of the film he kills someone, all right, yeah, and uh, and then other than that it's all it seems to be playing off like a sympathy. It's like yeah, he's really bad, but. This is why he's bad, and it's and yeah, it, and it doesn't really. It's unclear then: is the audience supposed to really hate this guy, or is the audience supposed to sympathise with him? And uh, and yeah, so it, it, it's a bit weird that way.
1: Yeah, well, one of the things that I found on the Wikipedia page is that well, for one thing, it was meant to be originally
0: Bill Murray as John Kimball. Um, okay, <laughs> that would have been a di- a very different film.
1: Yeah, they also um, wanted Patrick Swayze at one point. He seems to be always the the bridesmaid when it comes to being cast in a, an Arnie film. <laughs> but one of the things that... Well, I think this was off uh, IMDb, actually. Yeah, I did two lots of research. Wow. I know. That's going deep. The, the two easiest things at the top of the <laughs> Google search. Yeah, apparently Ivan Reitman and uh, Schwarzenegger, when they both signed on, they wanted elements... Brought into the script to do with like broken homes and like child abuse,
0: so okay. obviously,
1: obviously that kind of manifests in the the literal child abuse subplot, which is dealt with very quickly mm. and never brought up again. But I wonder whether that also means that that's why Crisp and his mum, because his mum doesn't really add anything to this film, and I just wonder whether that was added later and
0: kind of misjudged. I mean, we've talked in some of the, uh, the previous episodes that we've done about how some things, I mean, particularly when we talk about sixth day was how things don't make sense. All things are visited, but never revisited. Things come up and never come up again. All things appear out of nowhere with absolutely no setup. That's the sort of thing that always makes me think when they, Showed this film to test audiences, which they were big on doing in the sort of like eighties and nineties. Right, um when so I can imagine when they first showed this to audiences, people were like, "Yeah, but I don't really get his motivation. Why is he doing this? Why is he bad? Why is he sort of all this kind of stuff?" And I can imagine the whole kind of domineering mother, the abuse kind of thing coming out of that sort of thing. Okay, well, test audiences have said they don't understand his motivation. We'll give him this abuse backstory, which is can I say as well now that i'm thinking about it really disrespectful to um abuse victims and the suggestion and uh, yeah. and again it's sort of taken this film um or maybe giving it a little bit of benefit of the doubt cuz it's what 31 years old this year that it's maybe a product of its time but the idea that um being a victim of um you know domestic abuse sexual abuse um all those kind of things is going to turn you into a murdering psychopath or something. And yeah, you know, we, we do sometimes find that, you know, abuse begets abuse and that, but not always, and that's how it seems like it's been used as a a plot device or a character motivator. Yeah, very just clumsy. To... Yeah, so yeah, clumsy is a really uh, is a really good way of describing it.
1: Yeah, I think the the weird thing is I don't really think you could fix him, even if even if uh, Eleanor Chris wasn't in it, he would be a paper thin character, as he is even with her, and quite frankly, the whole reason for his existence in this film, it's just a little bit of scaffolding. Mm-hmm. It's it's like it's the the bad guy in a Muppets movie. You know, you don't you don't need that bad guy except for the effects that he has. Like, not the character doesn't matter it's what he represents as far as, like, a threat or the impending end of the film, you know? <laughs> like, someone yeah. has to someone has to turn up to wrap this all up.
0: Yeah, he's, he's less of a character and more of a plot device at the end of the day. Yeah. He's a thing that appears at the start of the film to get the ball rolling, as it were, and he's more or less something that appears just at the end of the film to sort of wrap it all up, and then maybe, like, once or twice he appears, like, throughout it to... Give you a nudge and remind you that okay, yeah, this is this is why this whole bonkers scenario is occurring is because of this guy. But other than that, he's he's nothing. He's just something. He's 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 background furniture for the most part for the hilarity of the rest of the film.
1: Yeah, he really is because he is the only element that makes this uh, an R-rated film as well. It's just Mm -hmm. it's that's why it's so strange. It just feels like it almost feels like two films smashed together, and his part came last and was less important i don't know
0: yeah it reminds me of uh and this is a, a bit of a a bit of a digression a bit of a tangent but it reminds me of uh indiana jones and is it the kingdom of the crystal skull mm-hmm. the bad one where is it so essentially in that film you had george lucas who was the you know for the indiana jones films he was like the sort of the inception of it wasn't here they were his films and then from what I've read and, and and heard is that as those films progressed, in particular with the most recent one, as Spielberg got bigger and more powerful within his uh, within his level of influence, um, Crystal Skull in particular became this film where you had two people with two almost like warring visions of yeah. where the film could go, that led to this really kind of confused and muddled sort of uh, sort of mess. And Kinder and Cop sort of feels like that. It's, it feels as though somebody's come along with an idea that, oh, we're going to do this family film about this cop who has to go undercover in a school, and then it's going to be the shenanigans of uh, of that. And then you've got somebody else who comes in and goes, yeah, but what we could do is also make it a bit like Dirty Harry and uh, and have this kind of like, you know, child abuse subplot. And then they're trying to get these, thing, these two sort of things to work together, which... It doesn't really, and uh, and this film basically at the end of the day, it lives and dies on Schwarzenegger's performance through the entire thing. It does. The thing that we haven't mentioned yet, but
1: it's directed by Ivan Reitman, mm-hmm. and like he directed Ghostbusters, and the year before Ghostbusters too. So maybe he wasn't exactly on a roll right now, but he he knows that that that's the kind of tone, yeah, you, you know, the kind of the balance of stuff for adults, stuff for kids that you can get right and he knows how to hit that and I feel like Schwarzenegger being involved tipped the balance a little bit and he was getting more of what he wanted and Reitman Mm -hmm. was probably like I can make this work and he probably wasn't the right guy to make it work. There's a weird thought I had halfway through and I just couldn't shake it. This is a Michael Keaton movie. Okay (laughs) This 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 was around the time when Michael Keaton was making these kind of films, and he would have yeah. been perfect in the role. And nothing, to, <laughs> nothing against Watson again, because it does it does work better as a like a ridiculously buff guy who's like known for again playing on his previous persona mm-hmm. that everyone that everyone knows in real life and his previous roles where he's generally been a badass. Then having to deal with kids, it works much better. But I think the nuance would have been probably a little bit better if it had been someone like Michael Keaton or Patrick Swayze. You know, give him his credit. He, would, yeah. he was he did he did nearly make it.
0: Well, as well, Patrick Swayze he'd have been coming straight off Roadhouse at that sort. of time. I think Roadhouse was eighty nine, ah. and uh, and so he'd have been sort of like coming with that sort of high kicking. I think he would have brought very similar energy to it. To be fair, but it's funny you mentioned crush about... the
1: throats of a few kindergartners.
0: <laughs> but it's funny you mention about the idea that um, Schwarzenegger may have brought that more like adult sort of tone to it because I read somewhere that it was Schwarzenegger wanting to do this because he'd recently had kids and I know that we'd, we've touched on this in one of our previous episodes, I can't remember which one talking about how it's quite common with actors, particular action stars, people who are more known for these adult content, violent films mm. once they have kids to then start thinking well okay what what sort of le- what am I creating? What can I show my kids that I'm making? And so we do tend to find that, uh, and I think we talked in the previous episodes. That's how we, you know, we we later find through the '90s, Schwarzenegger starting to make, you know, jingle all the way, and um, and uh, and Batman and Robin, right? It was uh, yeah. it was Mr. Freeze, and so if he's approached this film with the idea that he wants to make something that his kids can watch, he failed <laughs> massively. <laughs> his kids aren't going to be able to watch it for years. They also
1: had an agenda on this. Uh, According to either Wiki or IMDb, he also insisted on having um, a theme around physical fitness.
0: Yes, I saw that as well.
1: So this whole thing of... The the other thing that may be uncomfortable... There's quite a lot of things that may be uncomfortable in this film, actually. But uh, two of the main ones were the kind of just discovering what american schools are like when it comes to the uh, the pledge of allegiance and all that kind of stuff yeah. which ju- it it's only weird if you've never seen it but it is weird mm-hmm. to me but um the other thing was yeah his his kind of militaristic style of teaching which is represented as oh you've got these kids working you, you know this is this is this is the right approach to be taken treat it like they're in the army or in or something like that it's like i'm not sure that is the approach to take with five-year-olds you know <laughs>
0: yeah i mean definitely with, with sports of course he's he's he'll be looking at this i imagine um you know completely projecting onto him but i imagine he's looking at this in a way that um he's seen physical fitness transform his life it's taken him from this like from being sort of a, a poor austrian boy yeah. um to essentially even that you know already at this point he's becoming like one of the highest paid actors in hollywood in this in a very very short space of time um and then he's probably already got in his sights that he wants to get into politics in the usa he'll already be thinking about that and so i can imagine that's why he you know he might be looking around at because um, this this whole thing in, in the USA, as I understand, they've got this thing called the presidential fitness test, which is like once per year they make kids climb up a rope. Because we see a little bit of that in this film as well, you know, the rope climbing. Yeah. And I remember doing rope climbing at school as well and barely getting a foot off the ground because I just didn't have the upper body strength. Mm-hmm. And so like, yeah, I think in, in the USA, to, again to my limited understanding as a, as a Brit, is they have sort of like once per year this like presidential fitness test that will immediately humiliate you know a, a large proportion of the of the student population and uh and i can see him sort of like wanting to try and maybe like address that but that five minute segment of the film is probably not the place right for it to happen yeah i mean i do
1: understand i do understand his approach to this because it's the same way that i'd look at a bunch of kids and go well they're not getting much arts education let's let's do something about that it's like you you, yeah. you would push the thing that you think is valuable to the next generation because at, at that age that's where they retain information easier isn't it that kind of thing i just i don't know i just i just think it's a little too much
0: well what you mentioned about the pledge of allegiance and i know we we mentioned that briefly when we were watching the film but yeah, it, it kind of sticks weird for for me as well because I was thinking like, oh, it's w- really weird, and you know, a cynical person could look at that as, okay, well, this is like the daily indoctrination. This is where it's built into the school system to tell children from a very young impressionable age that they're they, that they're part of this amazing country, this perfect, uh, this. You know this, this this experience that actually makes them some of the most fortunate people in the world and how it very simply tries to get across why um the usa in particular is such an important country if not the most important country in the world and so yeah a cynical person could look at that as indoctrination and i was th- i was the same when i was first looking at that like all oh, right i didn't realize that they started so young with kids but then i was thinking about this later now obviously here in the UK, we don't have a, a Pledge of Allegiance or anything like that. No. Uh, they don't really make us sing God Save the Queen or anything when no. we're at school. But, and I don't know if this was the same for you, but when I was at primary school, which would have been between, what what's primary school, like four to seven years old, something like that? Depends on where you go. Mine was four to eleven. right. And so so yeah so with my school when I was growing up we had primary school we had infants and we had juniors and we had so like, infants was I think from sort of 4 to 7 and then juniors was 7 to uh, to 11 which was then high school ah, okay. age and when I was in that primary school at the time even though it was a uh, it was like a it was a state school as it were so uh, it, you know it was it was a free school to go to and know was going it wasn't a religious school or anything like that but every morning we had school assembly and we would sing uh, we would say the Lord's Prayer, yeah. which even now, and, uh, and you know, for well, again, while it's a, a bit of a digression, is, so I'm, I'm non-religious now, and I've not probably said the Lord's Prayer in 20-odd years, maybe, maybe, maybe 30 years. I can still remember it off by heart. Oh, really? Because every, every single morning we would be, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, It sort of drilled into me. So while we didn't have the Pledge of Allegiance, even in our supposedly secular, non-religious state schools, we were reciting the Lord's Prayer, we were singing hymns. Every now and again, we'd sing like a Beach Boys or a Johnny Cash song as well, because that's what our headmaster (laughs) liked. Love it. But yeah, so I guess like all kind of schools, uh, I would imagine all kind of schools do that.
1: I guess in that way, it's not like indoctrination as much as it is just this is what we've always done, and we just carry on doing it. I think that's not the case for schools here now with the like more secular kind of attitude that we've got in Britain now. I don't know how accurate the the whole thing of what we saw in this film is to modern day US schools, but I imagine Hmm. they still have to recite the Pledge of Allegiance, right? Because it's not like the US has become less patriotic.
0: Yeah, I think it's definitely. Um, it's just part of the that country's narrative, really, isn't it? It's about really just communicating the values. I think is yeah. the, is a lot of it, and it's. I think in, in many ways, it's kind of seen that this is uh, these are the values that we want to live by as a country, and it is codified already. In, this, uh, in almost like this poem that you can recite every single day to remind you of, uh, of what it means to be an American.
1: I, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to petition that all UK schools have to recite the Magna Carta. <laughs> I don't think any
0: of us know it well enough. I barely know what the Magna Carta is these days. I, I vaguely remember I think... talking about it in school. All right, we've digressed terribly from talking about this film. We have. Uh, so yeah, so we've we're seeing essentially the, the the daily lives of these kids. These kids are a nightmare. I, I particularly like the uh, the line that uh, Joyce, as uh, as she's known as, I believe at that point, right? Mm-hmm. Joyce is the name. Joyce is her new to, name. Yeah, Joyce and yeah, Dominic. Yeah, Joyce is her new name. Got it. Joyce and Dominic. So there's a part where um, where Detective John Kimball, he's like really, uh, he's struggling with the class, and he's got a young girl who needs to go to the toilet, but she can't get a dungarees undone. And he, apparently, with his huge sausage fingers, can't get dungarees and done either. Dungarees, what they call overalls in America, just so you know. Ah, right, okay. Really? Yeah, interesting. So, uh, so yeah, he gets Joyce to help, and she says that line where it's, uh, kindergarten is a lot like the ocean. You don't want to turn your back on it. And then, obviously, he goes back in, and the kids are sort of bounce around all over the place. And I think that's when he decides he needs to bring in his police discipline, uh, yeah. disciplinary and backgrounding.
1: Well, I mean, technically that's the point where he decides he needs to bring in his ferret. That is called ferret. He's got a ferret that's called ferret. Apparently he can bring it on a plane from... Yeah. Is it is it LA that they're in at the beginning? I think it is, isn't it? I
0: think they start in LA, yeah, I believe yeah. so.
1: So he takes a flight from LA to somewhere in Oregon um, and then drives to Astoria. And it's in the car on the way from the airport to Astoria. the, the, the ferret pops its way out. Which means he had it on his fl- on a flight, mm-hmm. and as I've looked into, it was illegal to have a ferret in California at that time. Perfectly legal <laughs> in,
0: in Oregon. Hang on a second. Is this one of these like, this has got to be one of these like really old laws that they've just never managed to? You can shoot a ferret in the
1: street with a bow and arrow legally, that kind of thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, or, and be one of these things where. We have these in the UK, don't we? Like it's it's illegal for a man to look at a sheep at half past twelve on a Sunday. those sort of it seems like it's that sort of law that has yeah. never gone away. It's illegal for somebody in LA to have a ferret. Why? Like yeah. why are ferrets illegal? Are they a pest? Are they
1: And I realised as I was saying that the the ferret emerges at that point that we've kind hmm. of left out the character of his partner. I can't remember her first name, it's O'Hara. Phoebe yeah. O'Hara, that's her name. Who, according to Wikipedia, has a condition which they
0: never mention in the film? Are you going to say hyperglycemia? That's the word. They do mention it. Do they, they? Do mention it in the film? Yeah. So there's a part when uh, when they, when they first get the uh, the the mission, if you like, or the assignment to go to the school, and she's going to be the teacher. Uh, if you remember, it's the scene where Kimball's saying like, "I, I work alone," and the and, and his chief is like, Haha, "Not anymore." And yeah. and she's eating she's eating a sandwich at the vending machine at that point, and she says, I'm, "I'm hypoglycemic. If I don't eat a lot, I tend to get a bit cranky." Oh, so literally the first time you meet her, well, More so, or less, yeah, yeah,
1: but yeah. It's amazing how I don't pay attention to that stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah. So uh, and then later on, she's uh, when she gets starts getting ill, she's saying, "I wonder if it was that sandwich, or maybe it was the burger, or maybe it was the donuts," because she's like constantly eating, she can't pin down. Yeah. what it is that's made her real.
1: I wonder if anyone who's got like hyperglycemia is like, oh, representation for, for people <laughs> like us. Yeah. Oh no, she's a plot device, so she can't be involved in the film much.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's you know She was this close to being the lead of the film, but taken down by a vending machine sandwich.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, kindergarten cop with someone who used to be a teacher who was perfect for the role wouldn't have worked quite as well. But um, yes, yeah, it's basically the, the ferret is revealed. Dur- during the puking montage, which
0: is <laughs> it is a Actually, puking montage. It? It's genuinely
1: one of my favourite moments of the film.
0: Yeah, whimsical was the uh, the sort of word that came to my mind when it was playing that music. It was I think what I was trying to get across was that sort of shifting tone, wasn't it, where it was really serious, kind of like foreboding music at the start. Yeah. And then as they got close to a story it became this kind of like did, did diddle, everything. That was gonna be circus music. Not circus. <laughs> 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 I don't know where I was going with that.
1: It's perfect though, because at that point, like the tone is just like all over the place. Um, yeah. y- you've just seen Arnie doing his full-on badass thing where he's just been kicking in doors and shooting the, shooting the ceiling to get people out of a bar. And then he's sort of driving along, already kind of opening up. He opens up earlier than he's supposed to, I think. He needs to mm. open up at the point when he decides, I'm going to be the substitute teacher. And he's not really resisting it or anything. On the on the drive he's basically sort of turning he's asked t- talk about his son and talking about oh yes that's my ferret. And it's like you would be very friendly for a guy who a minute ago was just like, don't talk to
0: me, I work alone kind of guy. Yeah. He's like, I work alone and therefore he's never spoken to anyone. So as soon as he gets to spend ten minutes in a car with someone, he's sharing his entire life story. <laughs> isn't she asking him on the Because yeah, she's asking him on the plane as well. And and I get the feeling that he's got the same almost backstory here in this film as what he has in uh, Red Heat. I don't know if you've seen Red Heat yet.
1: I haven't, no. Oh, maybe I have, but not for a long time.
0: But it's the sort of really classic sort of like, you know, action cop film. You know, my dad was a cop, my brother was a cop, all those sort of things. And And he's sharing that. And what I thought was interesting was, so he says my father was a cop and Schwarzenegger's dad in real life was a cop in Austria. Yeah, that's actually really interesting. All right, so let's talk about the kids. Okay.
1: Uh, I don't know how many of them weren't actors. Maybe some of them were, because some of them are, are still in things. Now, one of them is the 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 girlfriend from Cloverfield.
0: Yeah, I think I saw that.
1: But otherwise, I think one's a voice actor. The kid, the the kid who's obsessed with death, I think, is a voice actor. Yeah. But otherwise, what did you think as far as like
0: their acting abilities? Let's
1: let's really take down some five year
0: olds. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Well, a bit better than I could do. I'll I'll certainly give him that. It was was a real sort of mixed bag, wasn't it? And obviously the the, the kid who was playing Dominic, I'm going to guess he was, uh, well, he was two actors, right? There was twins playing Dominic.
1: And I think that's why the first time when he's saying, this teacher's better than you, this teacher's better than you, and he's talking, but he's got like a really hoarse voice and some of his words are not coming out properly. And then suddenly later on he's talking and he's totally different. And I think that's probably why.
0: Right, so the first one was a smoker. And then the, uh, the, 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 the... One twin was a smoker. He really went off the rails after this film. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I guess like those two were uh, were actually actors. But the rest of them, yeah, were local kids. Um, th- They were fine. Uh, I like this... There's a part in there where it's set up like an interview, isn't it? It really changes um, in terms of tone from it being a film. And it's shot as if they're just kids are being interviewed. Yeah. And blatantly the those kids have, have been given lines things to say and they do seem to be reciting lines yeah. don't they rather than naturally doing it and i can't remember which kid it was but he says his little bit and then immediately looks off camera as if to say was that right <laughs> and that means that it was the best take or
1: they've got yeah. certain laws saying you can't ask him to work much longer than that or something because like yeah. if that was the best take and that's the one that made it in when he looks off camera which I mean, it's better than looking at the camera.
0: Yeah, yeah, they came. It came across with the right level of chaos that I think they were going for at the end of the day. I'm sure there's absolutely a shit ton of um, of film on the cutting room floor somewhere of you know where where it didn't go right and where it went. Well, what's the saying? Is it you know never work with animals and children? Well, yeah. they've got both in here, haven't they? They've got a ferret, um, <sighs> and, they've, and and they've got kids. What works most of all, and this is what the film sort of really hangs on. Is at the end of the day, it's the relationship, it's the chemistry, if you like, between Schwarzenegger and these kids, yeah. and and I, and I can imagine there's a bit when Schwarzenegger, when de- Detective John Kimball first arrives into the uh, into the kindergarten, and it sort of shows the kids sort of really craning the necks back, um, mm. you know, because he's so tall and like they've never seen anybody as tall as him, and uh, and I can imagine the kids just having an absolute, I bet they were having a ball. The kids so, loved him in yeah.
1: in real life. Apparently, yeah, they were like wrestling and using him as a climbing frame kind of thing.
0: Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, I thought the the kids were great. At the end of the day, that is like the core of the film, isn't it? Is like them with Schwarzenegger.
1: It's got the same kind of dynamic that School of Rock would have, like thirteen years later or whatever it is. It's like it's it's about it's about what happens in the classroom first and foremost. It's like it's the story of a, a like a hard hard cop who's finally discovered, like, I'd probably actually prefer to be a kindergarten teacher. And, like, yeah. getting to know all these kids and these kids getting to know him and kind of being better for it. And that's, like, the heart of the movie. And that's why, I mean, what I was saying earlier about, like, the rest of it is the Muppets bad guy kind of thing. Just that has to, <laughs> Because otherwise there's no plot. It's just, look at how nice this scene is.
0: But, again, this is another one of these films, I think, where the impression I get is they started off with the concept, right? It's like, wouldn't it be great if you had... Dirty Harry, but he then had to like take care of all these kids. Now, with the seed of that idea, let's think of a way to get him into that situation. And then, because it's a film, we now need to have some kind of like resolution to it. And you know, and, and the arc is going to be he comes out of it somehow transformed. He's no longer just a Dirty Harry character. He's he's become softened in uh, in some kind of way. And then everything is sort of built around that thing, isn't it? And that's well, it's the hero's
1: journey. It's literally yeah. he it's it's about as simple a hero's journey as you'll ever see in film. But it's also got that's why I think it sticks out that he doesn't what's what's the, the term, is it uh refuse the call or something like that? He never mm-hmm. he never does. He he volunteers immediately and I feel like he it would have been maybe a little bit more realistic if he'd taken a bit of convincing to do that job and been a bit more well, resistant yeah. to it. Because like on that's... the plane, he's threatening kids. which implies that he doesn't like kids and you know the whole i work alone thing he's like he's a he's a a full-on he's kind of decided that he doesn't want to rely on anyone but himself he doesn't like be he doesn't like people pestering him he doesn't like all kinds of things he doesn't
0: like a lot doesn't like kids doesn't like working with people doesn't like taking orders doesn't like people with ponytails and well i mean
1: that's that's fair who does? <laughs> Although, I d- to be fair, I did I did say while we were watching it, I'd wear that outfit in a
0: heartbeat. But you make a really good point about he he didn't have that resistance at all, did he? He he wasn't like refusing the call or anything. It was literally next morning. The first thing we see is he's combed his hair, he's shaved, he's got his nice blazer on and everything. There was no. It wasn't a case of um, of like O'Hara having to sort of convince him or anything of. Oh, you're gonna to have to go here and do it for me. And him, like, no, no, I can't do that. It's you know, right. I, don't, I don't work with kids and all. It was like, I'm off to work now. Yeah, <laughs> that's fine.
1: It's good for a punchline in the uh, kind of a oh look, he's he looks all clean now and he's ready to go to work. But it doesn't work as like a revelation for the audience really because we know that that's going to happen. Uh-huh. So you know, you, yeah, there's just not enough. Not enough fight put up about it, and I think there's there's probably a bit of flab in the film elsewhere that you could
0: trim. Can we can we just uh, point out um, Chekhov's fire drill? This is this is my regular segment. We need a Chekhov theme tune. Chekhov, Chekhov. You never really know what he's going to foreshadow next. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. So yeah, this is my favourite thing to pick out in any film, which is. For first-time listeners or people who somehow missed it when I've talked about it in previous episodes, uh, there's a trope in uh, it's in films. It's in uh, originally from stage shows, I believe, which was the playwright Chekhov, who would say that if there is going to be a gun on a wall in a scene, then at some point later on it has to go off, it has to be used, otherwise it shouldn't be there at all. And we've touched on particularly in Sixth Day how there was things going on in uh, in, in that where the gun was on the wall you know the metaphorical gun was on the wall but it never went off later on and then in other ways there was another gun gun that would go off later and so i always like to point out when they clearly kind of like signpost something that's going to happen later and i think in this film it was the yeah, it was the fire drill wasn't it It was it was with the kids where he's trying to get them to conform and know what to do during a fire drill although
1: i don't know if you noticed this, but it would have been worse than the, the first fire drill when he's just supposed to not know what he's doing, and he's just saying, come on, come on, get all together, get everything together, get all together, come on, come on. They then get a report saying four minutes, and that's unacceptable. When the actual fire goes off and the and the alarm goes off, there's Kimball and O'Hara telling them about stranger danger. And when it goes off, he goes out to go and check. Oh, no, she, uh, Phoebe O'Hara goes out to go and check what's going on. They mm-hmm. don't go, oh, fire drill. They don't immediately do it. She has to go out and check. So that must be the worst timing they've ever had. Right. It pays off as far as the story goes in terms of like, oh, I see. Yeah, fire drill. They're all prepared now. But they don't go for like a minute.
0: So it doesn't make sense anyway. I think we talked about this at the time. Like my notes for this film are, I've got hardly anything written here because I fully got absorbed in this, (laughs) uh, this film and maybe i need to start doing what you do which is watch it one time for the sake of watching it and then watch it a second time to really pay attention to what's going on because yeah i found with this one i just started watching it and uh, and then i realized at one point i've not made a note for about 40 minutes
1: <laughs> the thing is though you know the film i didn't know the film i was I, this was my first time the thing that surprised me was just how i guess underwhelming it was to me it's like it wasn't like for a film that kind of existed for, like I said before, like the moments, that it's it's a very easily kind of clippable film if you know what I mean. Like you could mm. certainly take a lot of the moments and put them together and put like a good trailer together, or you know, if you were doing like a ten best moments of Kindergarten of Cop or something like that, you would definitely have enough stuff to put together. Yeah. But I think it never sparked anything. It just never it never really got me
0: interested. No, you've got a core sort of uh, I'd say forty minutes of. Schwarzenegger screaming at children yeah which that is funny yeah yeah you've got that and if you were to take that part of the film out and look at the first act and then the final act in isolation they don't make sense the quality isn't there anything again this film lives or dies on Schwarzenegger's performance with these kids it's it's that act it's that chemistry it's that relationship. And for me, I think that's what it is. It's I love this film, but I love it for that stuff. I love it for those those kind of quotes that only work in the context of those forty minutes. You know, the it's not a tumor, and uh, where he's like picking up that kid and saying, "You know, are these all your lunches?" And he's going, "No." He's like, "Do you eat other people's lunches?" And he's going, "Yeah." He's like, "Stop it!" And then the kid just spits all the food out. That's it. Those sort of things. All that is funny enough to carry. A really weak first act, a setup, yeah. and a really kind of like poor, sort of boring uh, resolution as well. And I think that's it. It's like you keep, you can quote those bits in the uh, in 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 that middle part of the film. You can talk about those funny parts. And for me, with this, those are the parts that I always remember. I always forget, you know, what the setup is. I always forget like what happens at the end of it. It's just that. That is the film. Yeah.
1: The rest of it isn't really memorable in any way, I don't think. It's not even like filmed in an interesting way. Um, No. There's no... I don't know, there's just no style to it. It's just very middle of the road. Except there was one moment Mm -hmm. when Dominic is climbing the radio tower. Because I'm scared of heights. And (laughs) just the idea of doing that was scary enough. But then when he slipped, I genuinely, like, my heart sank a little (laughs) bit. I get vertigo from that.
0: Yeah, the, the whole kind of subplot of Dominic's lasers because he's got some v- weird, vague memory from being one year old of bad people coming for them. Yeah. What? Nobody remembers from being one year old? That's not a thing that happens. No, I think my first memory is like three, probably. I couldn't. Yeah, I couldn't even tell you what my first memory is. I remember being in hospital as a child, but I couldn't tell you how old I was. Yeah, that was when you were being
1: born what's <laughs> right this line. place this is a bit bigger it's roomy
0: <laughs> or should we uh, should we start wrapping this thing up before we take another trip down tangent boulevard
1: yeah i don't really have an awful lot to say
0: well we've said a lot but a lot of it hasn't been actually about the film it's it's That's like the, the film has has sparked conversations about many different things but yeah, I think that's one, definitely one thing... Again, I, I will say this. I've said it all the way through. I really enjoy this film. However, I'm not saying necessarily that it's a great film. It's just it's just enjoyable. And so, yeah, when we came away from watching it the other day, I was thinking, I've not made a lot of notes, but I'm not sure what I, what I could have made more notes about. Right. This is the
1: least notes I've made because there's just not that much to remark on.
0: So we've got a, a recurring... Uh, theme segment, if you like, is in terms of rating these films, we've come up with something that's incredibly frustrating and binary in terms of whether <laughs> whether, it's, whether it's good or not, uh, which is either do it now or put the cookie down. Uh, so for kindergarten cop, Jamie, would you say to people to watch this, would you say do it now or put the cookie down? I'm going to say put the cookie down. What? Yeah. Explain I thought, yourself.
1: Just because it never... Gets going. It's just, there's just nothing there. It's empty calories. You know, there's just, (laughs) well, basically because School of Rock exists, it did the same kind of thing, but better. There's more heart in that. And it had a better tied together theme. At the end of School of Rock, Jack Black decides to set up his own music school, right? At the end of Kindergarten Cop, he goes back to the school. Is he still a cop? Or has he decided to be a teacher now? don't know. He goes back to very inappropriately kiss uh, Joyce who is also a teacher there.
0: Yeah, he, he goes back uh, and obviously we've, we have we didn't really touch on this and we're supposed to be wrapping up but it's okay. He goes back <laughs> um, with a cast on his leg and he's walking with a cane because he got shot in the kneecap in the final scene and, uh, and then as soon as Joyce walks in he kisses in front of all the kids. I'm not saying that kissing in front of kids is wrong or anything but I guess it's not context appropriate I'm pretty sure you're
1: not allowed to do PDA in a school
0: right yeah and uh, and then he and then he kind of he, he, all of a sudden his cane's gone I didn't see where his cane went his leg's like still in a cast but he then picks her up and spins her around
1: <laughs> and uh,
0: and he does and that goes, is, yeah there was a perfect opportunity for an Arnie type scream there and he uh, and didn't have the, it does his so, leg shatters, yes <laughs> his kneecap pops off <laughs> um, <laughs> he,
1: but we have uh, digressed yeah. a bit again uh, what's, we've digressed
0: what's... a bit but it's okay, yeah so my rating for this one, <laughs> again I'm kind of torn on this one, I'd have to say based on how much I enjoy it, do it now, yeah of course, and I don't care if you if if you watch it and don't like it, so if anybody's listening to this unlikely, but uh, for anybody <laughs> who is listening to this, don't at me you know, watch it, watch it if you don't like it you don't want to let me know. You're like discipline. Yeah. <laughs> for me, do it now. It's got a good 40 minutes of funny stuff that happens in the middle.
1: I would say do it now, but do it now if someone edits it down onto YouTube for just the best scenes.
0: Search YouTube for kindergarten cot best moments, is what yeah. you're saying. Yeah, basically, yeah. <laughs> do it now for the best bits on YouTube. Put the cookie down for the first 20 minutes and the last 10 of the film, because, boring. True. Fantastic. In that case, then, uh, we will bring this episode to a close, and shall we spin the wheel of pain and see what's in store for us for the next episode?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Is it jingle all the way?
0: it's jingle all the way
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, no! yes. uh, the
1: the kind of the downside to this is that i don't think there's much difference for someone who hasn't seen kindergarten cop when they were younger mm-hmm. between the two films uh, as, as far as like from an outside point of view I wouldn't have yeah. known which one was which. In fact, I thought put the cookie down was from Kindergarten Cop. So, you know Which would make yeah. sense, wouldn't
0: it? You know, it's So I'm looking I'm
1: looking forward to this as much as I was kindergarten
0: cop. I am not. No. As you you may have guessed by my screen. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah. Okay.
1: Okay. If this is what you you've you've already said that the sixth day and jingle all the way are basically your low point, right? And in the first four episodes, we'll have covered both of those. Just think of all the the Terminators and Predator and stuff that we've got to come. Yeah. You'll get through this. You'll get through this. I'll be there for you.
0: Stop trying to help. Okay, that's the end of another episode. So, if you want to look us up on socials, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at PodActionHero. I've been Gavin. I've been Jamie. Thanks for listening. We'll speak to you next time.